Well, good morning. We want to welcome everybody to Spruce Grove Community Church. A special happy Father's Day to all of you fathers. But why don't we stand to our feet this morning as we get ready to worship our God. I just want to read a passage out of Psalms 18 verses 1 to 3 that I'm sure we're all familiar with. And it says this, it says, I love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. Father God, you are the answer to everything. You are such a good God. And this morning, regardless of where we're at in our journey, we can come before you and worship you as King, worship you as Lord. And Father God, we know that you are our rock. You are our refuge. You are our deliverer. You are the one God who can do all these things. And Father, this morning, as your word says, you are worthy of your praise. And so Father, this morning, we come with a joyful heart, ready to worship you in Jesus' name. So let's worship him this morning. You know, the Bible says that God is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And one of the key things that's happening is that we are exalting his name. And when you exalt one, you're actually making a separation between one and all others. And that separation begins with separating yourself from him in terms of glory. I mean, uh, we, we find all kinds of way to give ourselves preferences, to, to do what we like to do, to eat what we want, to sit where we want, to be comfortable in a way we want. Worship is a way to say, God, I am going to extol you. I am going to value you. I'm going to prefer you. I'm going to lift you up. And in contrast, I'm going to pull down on all the things important to me. So I'm not going to protect my honor. I'm not going to protect my name. I'm not going to protect my dignity. I'm going to do what David said. Is I'm going to be even more undignified than this. I'm going to make you the only one in the room that's dignified. Only you can stand or sit in the center and look noble. My job here today is not to look noble, but to honor him so that all, all of my heart says, you are the one that deserves dignity and exaltation and, uh, and honor here. That's what worship does. So let's do that this morning. Lord, we want to say that we love the name of Jesus. And we declare that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Ah, can you see that in your mind's eye? Every knee, every knee, principalities and powers, Satan himself, kings and princes and Satanists and idolaters and... Uh, and sinners of every score, every kind, will bow before the majestic Jesus. 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 The beautiful name of Jesus. Jesus, be magnified in all the earth. Jesus. Listen, as we're as we're shifting out of this worship, I wanna I wanna put a stake in the ground here because there's something we need to understand about the kingdom of God. I know that within the midst of us today there are some that are would consider themselves quiet kind of people. They I'm not into the emotionalism of of loud, you know, aggressive stuff. And, uh, and I want to say, uh, neither am I. But when it comes to Jesus, I believe we should spare no expense. 
And, you know, there comes a time when it is just raw emotionalism and it's not worship in spirit and truth, but that's another ditch entirely. And I think as Canadians, the ditch we find ourselves in most often is the uh, sort of uh, contemplative, you know, sitting back, soaking, you know, pensive, meditative. And we justify that because, well, you know, it's more Canadian. You know, we look at scriptures and it, or different sayings. Thomas Aquinas said, preach the gospel always if necessary, use words. But, you know, he said that coming out of a generation whose words had become empty because they had done the other. They had done it forcefully, and then they'd done it without, without any backing. And so they were in this ditch. So he said, listen, get out of that ditch, get into this ditch. And that's why that was said. And, you know, Elijah, people always bring up Elijah. Well, yeah, you know, when Elijah had that revelation of God, he was in the, he was in the cave and and, uh, the, you know, the wind came and the fire came and the earth and, the, you know, the, the thunder and all of that. It says God wasn't in any of those, but God was in the still, small voice. Yeah, God was giving Elijah a revelation that's not all about aggression. Because you know why? Up to that point, that's all that Elijah did, and God was in all the aggression. Hello? Up to that point, God was in all the aggression. So we need to decide what ditch we're in. Not use selective scripture to, to stay in the ditch we're in. There's a time for war and there's a time for peace. There's a time for being quiet and waiting on God to hear His voice. And there's a time of shouting from the rooftops. And if there was ever a time in Canada to shout His name from the rooftops, to lift up our voice and to magnify Him and to glorify Him, this is that time. Hey, if there is a time to not be quiet in the marketplace, it's today. Jesus! So I, I want to put this out there. We need to learn to be a, a sound of aggression, a sound of authority, a sound of uh, confident confidence in Christ. You know, we are in that season. It's, it's not by accident that this movie came out recently about uh, uh, Winston Churchill. Let me paint a little picture for you. During times of war, you need people like Winston Churchill. You know what? They're not, they're not all about gentleness and protocol. They're about getting the job done. They're, a time of war, you don't need, you know, uh, it's not about convention. It's not about, you know, political posturing. And uh, Winston Churchill and all his flaws and all his aggression of all his overstated and misstated quotes, you know, he was, not, he was brash. He, was, he had a hard edge, but he was the sound that the nation needed to face the spirit of death that was rising in the nations. You know, and there's something about dignity, and men love dignity, and in times of peace, the most dignif dignified man, the, the one with the silverest lining on his lips, that's the one that becomes prime minister. But in times of war, you need a Winston Churchill. And this church is not a We need a people that can stand up and let their voices be heard and be unashamed about the truth. I mean, how do we get to the point where we've gotten today well, we can't even celebrate Father's Day because that in somehow is an illegitimate expression. That the very idea of a fathers and mothers is offensive. That's where we're going. That's what's overtaking us now. Are we going to go quietly into the night? Are we going to accept this? Why do we accept it? Because we've learned to be quiet. We're just trying to, you know, gain favor by being middle of the road. You know, not too offensive, not too one side, not too... God, raise up an army. Raise up an army, Lord. Raise up a people. You know, I said it in prayer this morning. When Jesus was in the marketplace facing the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these were lawyers. These were educated men. These were brilliant men, the greatest of their time. These were men 
who could twist you up in an argument and put you to shame, put you down with a, just, a, a, just a twist of a few words. And Jesus, with a twist of a few words, put them to shame. He came up with things in a moment in a spirit of wisdom that nullified every argument, that made everybody see, you know, they were about to kill this woman. I mean, it was a raging mob. And he's, what is he doing? He's, he's drawing in the sand. He's drawing in the sand. And they're, you know, they're raging. This is a, a riot. This is a mob. This is a murderous, lynching group. And he makes one statement. He that was, is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And that the wave of glory and light that exposed their sin right through the crowd and nullified and put an end to their anger and their rage and their self-righteous contempt. He did that in the public square with a statement. Can we do that? Can we do that in a boardroom? Can we do that on the sales floor? Can we do that uh, in a, by the water cooler? Can we do that in the lunchroom? Can we do that anywhere at all? Can we do that on the commute on the bus? Can we do that? We need to find out how. Because that's how a nation is, is won. That's how Jesus did it. Out in the open, unapologetic about what he stood for. So, Father, on this Father's Day, we say raise up fathers and mothers. Raise up fathers and mothers. I know it's Father's Day, but fathers and mothers, God, who, who have the voice of thunder, who have lightning in their words, Lord, that can strike the, the mark, that can hit the strongholds of darkness. God, raise up. Raise up Osiris in Canada. Raise up political voices. Raise up men and women who can stand before the Supreme Court and win the argument of the day. Lord, ah. Uh. So, Lord, we want to say today, make this a house of prayer. Make this a place, Lord, where, where we learn how to speak the words that, that you can infuse with your presence, Lord, that can establish a kingdom, that can establish light and overcome the darkness. Oh, God, make us witnesses to your power and your glory and your honor. Uh, are there any quick prayers in, amongst our elders and leaders here, people we know? Somebody have a prayer declaration? So, Father, we just come before you on this Father's Day, and we honor you. Lord God, we honor you. And, Father, we just ask that as your children, we would stand up in this nation. We would stand up in this place, God. And we would not stand for unholiness anymore, God. Lord, that your word says that we are supposed to be like you, God, in everything. Lord, we wouldn't be wanting to be Canadians, being meek like Canadians, God, but we would be Christians. We would be Christians, Lord, when we would walk like you walk, Lord. Lord, not bringing judgment, Lord, but just as you did, Lord, exposing things and exposing things in people's lives just by the way that we live, Lord, and the things that we say, God. So we ask for a download of your wisdom and a download of you, God, and your Holy Spirit to just flow through this region and your people, God, and that we would stand up and rise and say, we are the sons of the Most High King that we are the sons of the one true Father, God, and that we would know who we are in you, God. In Jesus' mighty name, and Lord, that we would understand the power of your name, God, and the glory of your name, Lord, that we wouldn't just sing it and say it, Lord, but it would be something that is like honey on our lips, Lord. It would be something that rolls off our lips like honey, God, and is so sweet, because, God, your name is so sweet and so beautiful, God. We bless you, Father. Father, I pray the identity of the little Christians, the anointed ones, the identity. I saw the crown of diamonds come down. It's the crown of life that he's putting on his people. And the diamonds are forever. He wants to gird our mind with the fact that he came to bring life. And I just speak identity. He's speaking his name over us, the name of Jesus. And we are in Christ Jesus, little anointed ones, Christian, called out ones. And we will go up to the battle, Lord. I say, I will go up to the battle. We will stand for your righteousness. We will stand for your peace in our country. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I want to declare over the fathers of this house, for the young men who are going to be fathers, 
and I declare over you that you will not be afraid of your masculinity. I pray that you will not be afraid of taking your position as a leader in your household. I pray that you will find joy in bringing provision to your family. I pray that you will find yourself willing to take the blame for things that are not your fault and willing to continue to lead in a strong way. I'm declaring that you will find joy in the Lord and that the wisdom of God will come upon you, that you will be men who will stand up and be accounted for. I pray, Lord God, that these men in this house will be men who will be honored for their dignity and integrity. I call this forth, Lord God, because it's what you want. You know, the voice of authority doesn't always have to be loud. That's true. But it depends who you're speaking to because you've got to be heard. So if we're speaking to the Father, it's true. We don't have to shout to get God's attention. But when we're speaking to our society, we have to be heard. So sometimes the voice of authority is loud. Sometimes it's loud. And it doesn't matter whether we're in Canada or whether we're somewhere else. Sometimes it's loud. And the name of Jesus can be spoken loudly into our society. Well, so good to see all your faces. And um, today's Father's Day. And I'd like to say that I have a themed message on fathers. I'd like to say that. And it just happens to be somewhat true. So, um, Father, thank you for what you're doing in the earth. And, uh, Lord, despite what happened this week, the Supreme Court ruling against traditional morality, traditional virtues, uh, traditional righteousness, historical righteousness, ancient righteousness... Father, we know that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And we declare that there is coming a new day to Canada. And unrighteousness will be uprooted. And injustice will be uprooted. And those who side in covenant with darkness will reap a whirlwind. In Jesus' name, the day is coming when, God, you are going to lift up your head in this nation, and you're going to lift up your glory in this nation, and you will be honored. So, Lord, we come today to seek righteousness and to seek your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you know, I am undeterred by the judgment. If you haven't been following the news, the, uh, the lawsuit, the law societies that were refusing to accredit Christian graduates from Trinity Western University the, it, it was, uh, their, their protest was overturned in provincial level, and now the federal court has actually defeated Trinity Western so that they are not allowed to make any moral requirement that's, that somehow is uh, discriminatory to those, you know, who, who could go to school anywhere else and live any way they want, but somehow there can be no moral requirements at a Christian university Otherwise, you can't be a lawyer and graduate from there. I mean, it's a stunning reversal of Christian historical morality and righteousness. But it is not the end. Amen? It is not the end. So uh, I want you to know that I am I'm not deterred by this. I'm not discouraged by this. And we're going to continue pressing on. But part of what it does is it tells us the job that needs to be done. It tells us what we have not been done. We've been running on inertia for a long time. Inertia, the biblical—I mean, the, the Webster dictionary uh, meaning is an object in motion continues in motion till uh, uh, an equally or greater uh, force is 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 uh, put up or put against it. Okay, so we've been continuing in a motion in a direction because of a, mom- a momentum that was created by previous generations. Okay. Previous righteousness built foundations, and we've been living off of those foundations despite the fact that the building itself is becoming increasingly dilapidated. And now we're at the place where the, the foundations are beginning to be removed. Okay. And what that means is we as a generation, as a people, need to rise up and ask God 
Seek God. What can we do? What can we do? What can we do to restore those foundations and the building and the righteousness? Because uh, it can be done. And that's, that's, let's, let's, let's start right there. It can be done, and it will be done. God has sufficient power, more power than you can imagine, to change a nation. All right? You know what it's missing? A people through which he can do it. A people who are less concerned with their own lives than they are with the collective lives of a nation. That's what we need. We need a people who are not concerned about their reputation or what, it, what it's going to cost them at work if, you know, people don't like me, right? If I, if I stand up or if I vote this way, if I actually talk about righteousness or actually make demands about something being true, you know, if I, if I get up and work and I suggest that, listen, uh, gender uh, is, is not op- an optional idea that you are born either male or female. Your chromosomes declare as much. Science declares as much. I mean, it used to be, right? We fought in the marketplace about creationism versus, versus evolution. What they always threw in our faces, well, science, 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 science. Never mind that they were getting the science wrong, and that's becoming clearer. But now, now, you know, there's no gender. What about science? Hey, don't talk to us about science right? Hypocrisy, unrighteousness, lies. But the lies, the lies have been defeating the truth because God needs a foundation. He needs a people who are aligned with him to stand for righteousness. Stand for righteousness, what is right. Now, you know what? If religion is simply in a, an extension of culture, right? And all cultures are different, and one's not really, not, you know, not implicitly by itself standalone better than the other, you know, just because culture. If you want to wear, you know, red, white, and blue versus, you know, Ukrainian colors or, or you know, right? You know, some cultures are more colorful. Some languages are different. One language is not more righteous than the other language. And they want to put religion in the arena of culture. Religion doesn't belong to culture. Religion belongs to the realm of truth. Hello? That's why you can't take it out of the marketplace. And uh, somebody's just reminding me that after the judgment that was made, basically it's saying to Christians, keep your religion in your home. It's for private consumption. It's personal. It's like culture. It's uh, whatever you want, except religion is not about culture. Religion is about truth. And there is one truth. And I believe that there is one name above every name, that there is one name given by which men may be saved, and that name is Jesus Christ. That's what I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe He came and died on behalf of me. I believe that His blood made remission for my sins. It set my sins aside so I could have a relationship with God. That's what I believe. That's what I believe to be true. And I believe God's Word to be true. And I believe the things that are said in there help us align to the pattern of heaven in order that we can get the blessing of God eternal. I believe that with all my heart. And I'm going to continue to stand for that. Let's talk about patterns for a second. God blesses patterns. Anybody got a Bible with you? I'm going to turn to a couple of scriptures. I'm going to start with Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. We're going to read this. It says this, but there are things that will not pass away that we can be building ourselves up in right now. And what if, what if my role in eternity in God's kingdom, whose government will never end and is just increasing and increasing, what if my role in eternity will depend on how aligned I become to his ways right now? Well, there's no what if. That's what's happening. So, uh, I am a, my, my brother just reminded me about my mom. He, I didn't remember her saying this all the time, but she always used to say this. I'm, I'm building up my reward in heaven. I'm building up my reward in heaven. I just heard a testimony that she gave $5,000 to a Bible college student who was going to school in, uh, in, in, in the U.S. And he said when, he, when she gave him the check, she was kind of mad about it. I thought, what? My, what do you mean, mad about it? Well, it's almost like she didn't want to do it. I think, well, $5,000. That was a lot of money 25 years ago. That was a huge amount of money. My mom didn't have a huge amount of money. But she said to, to him, she said, you know, the Lord, Holy Spirit would not let me sleep last night until I agreed to give this to you. Here. 
<laughs> right? Even if it hurt, even if it was painful, she was building up. She was preparing for eternity. And so God give us that mindset. Amen? So, Hebrews 8, uh, I don't know how we got there. We're talking about reading the Bible. All right, let's, let's read it. I'll start reading in verse 3. I'm going to go down to 5. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifice. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. He's talking about Jesus. Okay? It, it, it's, um, I won't get ahead of myself. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he said, when he was about to make the tabernacle, he said, this is God, he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. The writer of Hebrews is just, he's, he's referring to the pattern of the priesthood, okay? And he's saying Jesus came, as a part of the pattern of a priest who comes and offers. But his pattern was slightly different. He wasn't offering the normal stuff that normal priests were offering. He was offering himself. He was the Lamb of God, you know. But he is, in that sense, he was also a high priest. But the point of, that's not the point of it, but that's the context. But the point of what I wanted to say is this, is that everything that God is doing right now, okay, Everything that works, everything that he blesses, everything that he honors, everything that he pours his spirit out on, everything that has the power to overcome what's in the world is made after a pattern. Okay? The greatest things, the most effective things, the most enduring spiritual foundations always come after things that approximate the pattern most correctly. But what that means is this, is you will walk in the glory of God in degrees. And those degrees are about how much you line up to the pattern. So how anointed are you? How much authority are you? Do you have? I mean, this is, this is my quest. When I was wondering about God, why, why don't I have more authority? When the first time I went down to witness, I started preaching in the streets. Nobody even looked at me hardly. And I thought, well, they wouldn't do this if it was, this was you. And God's like, yeah, what do you think's missing? And so I made it my goal at that point because I, it became clear to me, I needed to be aligned. I needed to be transformed. I needed to match the pattern. And so there are these patterns, and I'll tell you why this is significant in, in the context of what we're saying in a minute. There are these patterns in Scripture that we see, and this one here, it's actually a quote from... Uh, Psalm twenty-five, forty. The pattern was this: that Moses went up the mountain, and when he went up the mountain, God showed him the furniture of uh, that was around his throne, that was around his temple. So you know, you had all the pieces of furniture. And man, there's so many places I can go with this. My pastor wrote a doctoral, his doctoral thesis on how different revivals. Different revivals down through history, from the Dark Ages until now, different revivals were actually restorations of different pieces of the furniture from the temple that Moses had seen. And And that the truths that were recovered through subsequent revivals. You know, I'm talking about the watershed movements that changed the church. That they were, that the temple furniture represented different aspects of, of what was brought in a revival. So in, in the Wesleyan, Wesleyan revival, it was the washing with the water. It was the water, the laver, where they, they washed the sacrifice and they prepared it. And uh, anyway, I, I don't want to go into, I'm, I'm not even, I can't even remember all the parts of it. But basically, that the, the restoration of all things was happening as God was aligning the truth that the body of Christ was walking in to the, the ultimate temple that was in heaven, that he was creating on earth what was in heaven. Kind of sounds familiar. Where did I hear that before? Creating on earth what's in heaven. Oh, yeah, I know. There's that prayer we pray almost every week. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let me back up for a second because why am I saying this? Because this is that as we are being faced with darkness, as we are being faced with systems that seem to be uh, uh, making judgments against the righteousness, against the body of Christ, against classic uh, 
classically what we've known to be right and wrong. We can get discouraged. But what God is saying is this. I've got more power than you'll ever need, than you can ever imagine to shift not only a city, not only an individual, not only a church, not only a county, but a nation. I can do that. I've got, man, if I could just breathe upon you with my life, I would change you amazingly. So I can do that. The question is, how willingly are you to come along? How willing are you to be modified, to be changed? How much are you holding to your opinion, your preference, and how much are you saying, God, I just want the next tier. I just want the next level. This is what the Lord began to show me. Every time I got to this place where I was frustrated, God, why isn't this changing? And God's saying, no, you change, and that will change automatically. Because the way the kingdom of God works, it says in 1 Corinthians, it says we are changed, right? That's 1 Corinthians 15, but we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. But there's another scripture that says, 1 Corinthians 3.18 or 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says that we go from glory to glory and that we're changed through the manifestation of his glory. So whenever God reveals something of himself, everything that's touched by that revelation changes to align with it. So God is saying, the problem is not the darkness out there. The problem is the absence of the pattern on earth which is in heaven. Oh, can you, can you hear me? If the church in any generation is ineffective, then the church has wandered away from the pattern. And if we were more aligned to the pattern, then boom, our, the, our culture and our civilization would change. So that's why we're praying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, that's why he said to us, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? Righteousness. Because if I seek his righteousness and his righteousness is revealed to me, then I am changed. And if I am changed, every place my foot will tread, he's given it to me, something, that, that glory, if it's actually the glory of God, it changes my world. It can't not change my world. That's the nature of the power of God. It can't not change the world around you. So what God does is he creates a hunger in you for more levels of glory by bringing you into situations that don't change. And you say, God, what's going on here? Well, this requires prayer and fasting. This requires that you aggressively align to the pattern of heaven. This is another level of glory that you need that you don't have. And so your heart... I just see that, no, I, this, this should change. These people who are bound by darkness, this civilization, this culture, this, this people group, they must be saved. And it causes you to seek for yourself more of God's righteousness so that you're changed. And then all of a sudden you have authority to change others. This is why we never complain about other people. This is why we never complain about other people. Why? When you complain about other people, you assume that you are closer to the pattern than them. Me and God, we're on, we're on the same side. You, on the other hand, right? Husband and wives, this, any, any ever disagreements within marriages? Okay, how people are changed, they're changed by seeing the glory. So you've been married to this person for 20 years and they haven't changed? And you say, I keep revealing to you the glory of God and you're not changing. Maybe what you're revealing is lesser than the glory of God than you thought. Hello? That's, man, Father's Day, Woohoo! God is saying, listen, if you would align, every time I've gotten frustrated and started complaining about situations, the church, denominations, God said, if you would align, Mark, if you would align, if you were just that anointed, these guys would be begging you to come and take over this or be a, have a voice of authority in that. You don't have a voice, you're marginalized, you know why? Because you don't have enough to win the moment. The glory of God, well, there's always people that resisted the glory. Yes, 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 but there's always a greater number that received it. More with us than there are with them. All right? Jesus was not without a following, you remember, despite the fact that, you know, there were some who resisted him. There's a pattern. Okay. There's a pattern. Let's go back to this. It's important, right? It is important that we own our lack of transformation. If I can't change my wife by how gloriously God has changed me, then maybe I haven't changed as much as I think I have. And while it's not about discouraging myself, it's about saying, okay, where's the threshold I need to cross to fix my family? Because as fathers, that's our role. We are 
the pointy end of the, of the spear. And our transformation will trickle down to our wives and our children. So we have nobody to blame but ourselves. And everybody stands alone that, in that respect. You can be a child, and if you are the most transformed, you will transform your family. But the role, the natural role and order is fathers change, have the most power to influence and change their families through transformation. Anyway, I'll leave that. Think about, think on these things. All right, so the tent of meeting is the, is the pattern that he's referring to right here. And he's basically saying that Moses, when he, he was commanded when he was in heaven, make sure that you build everything according to the pattern. And when, when they did that, when they built it according to the pattern, what happened? Boom, glory of God came on it. You know, pillar by fire during the night, cloud by day, enemies couldn't stand before them. Why? Because they were walking in a pattern. Now, he didn't, he wasn't, God wasn't just interested in furniture and the, and the tent. He was saying, listen, I'm starting here, but uh, this needs to move into your lives. And so the law was designed as an initial step to begin to get people to align to the righteousness of heaven. An incomplete step, but it was the first step. But the pattern is there, that anything resembling heaven has power to transform. So we see the next layer... Uh, we see Solomon's temple, and Solomon builds uh, this tabernacle right after David had this vision of building a house, a dwelling place for God, which is all just a picture of something that God would do in our generation. God is building a resting place for himself in our generation, not through sticks and brick, but through people who are pillars and parts of the walls, and we are part of the fabric of the house of God. And when we fit the pattern, glory is going to fall on us. So what happened is when, when Solomon built the temple according to the pattern as much as he could, was obedient, carefully did it, and then dedicated that one day, said the glory of God fell on the building, and the priest couldn't even stand to minister. We see, by extension, uh, the influence of that. David's government, and then following that, Solomon's government, was the, inf- it was the golden age of Israel because never before had, had things in the nation so precisely aligned to God's pattern. And so, again, you see the trickle-down effect of what is in heaven coming to earth and the automatic, implicit uh, authority that it carries to change and to align the world around it. It's powerful stuff. Now, the pattern that we're going to talk about today, which we sort of looked at a little bit, is the pattern of family. The family pattern is the pattern that God is trying to establish, the family, the family. And, and why this is important for us in this days, because we've already prayed and talked about, is this, is that the enemy knows this. The enemy knows that this pattern, okay, is destructive to his work. So what is he doing? He doesn't care if you have a belief in God, just so long as the pattern is incomplete. You gotta be, you be, he'd like to stop you from becoming a Christian, but if he can't stop you from becoming a Christian, he'll stop you from being aligned to God. And it will resist everything along the way that keeps you from coming into that, that potential resting place for God's blessing. So in a larger way, in a quantum way, the enemy is trying to destroy Israel. Why? Because Israel, you know, brought us the law and the prophets and Judaistic faith and all that. They represent the pattern of the kingdom of heaven and the earth. They are the root, Paul says of this manifestation. So the enemy is trying to destroy Israel. Why do you think no other uh, people group has had many, so many assassination attempts against them? Because they represent the glory of God in the earth. And so uh, the enemy is trying to destroy that. Similarly, there is a heavenly pattern in the family. Fathers and sons, starting with fathers and sons, husbands and wives and fathers and sons. You know, you, you got, the enemy's trying to destroy marriage because it says in Ephesians that when a man is joined to, to a, a woman, the two become one flesh. And he says, and this is a mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. So that pattern of a husband marrying a woman and creating a family, it's, it represents a heavenly pattern. 
Something that is eternal. I don't even get into to begin to define. But the enemy is always trying to destroy the patterns because if he can destroy the blueprint for the mystery of God, then he'll destroy the mystery of God. But I'm telling you, he can't. He can't. But, but this is the reason for his focus. This is why he's focused on Israel. And this is why he's focused on marriage. Well, if we can eradicate marriage, if we can destroy marriage. Well, you know, people, people and I, I hate this. I, I hate people. I hate it when Christians talk about this. You know, there's much divorce in, in the church than there is in the world. That's not true, eh? But then the disillusionment with people, you know, who say, well, marriage doesn't work. No, you just don't know how to do it. Okay? Absolutely marriage works. I, I know, I know you're all saying, well, you, yeah, you, you could say that. You're married to Wendy. Uh, you're right. You're right. I mean, I, I have had it easy. Easy. Straight. But you know what? You know what I did? I prayed as a young man. I said, God, I don't want to marry anybody you don't want me to marry. I want you to give me who I need. And before then, I want to die as much as I possibly can so that I'm ready to enter that marriage. So you do those two things and you might marry a Wendy. Just saying. So there are these patterns, and the first pattern is there that we're talking about in regards to the family is, is marriage, husband and wife, man and, man and woman. So then he's trying to destroy that pattern. Now he's trying to destroy uh, the family itself, fathers and sons. Now, there's a precedent for this. Malachi 4, 6, what does it say? It says, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts to the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now, in here, we see a a spiritual principle. Again, the same kind of thing. There are some things that are blessed, and there are some things that are cursed. There are some things that are made to embody the life of God, and there are things that don't embody the life of God. You know, we need to think about cursing and blessing a little bit different than we do. It's like we think always punitively, right? Like, you know, God rained down wrath on that thing. And he might. You know, God is going to, to judge the nations in wrath. He is going to do that. But, you know, when, when God disagrees and doesn't bless something, what he does is he withdraws his presence. And anything God withdraws his presence from decays. The curse is simply the absence of the life of God. Death is the result. So, you know, this whole idea, oh, I couldn't, can't worship a punitive God like that. Never mind punitive God. Okay, there's no punitive God here. And if he was punitive, he'd be, he'd be right to do so because he knows what to punish. He is perfect in his judgments. This whole thing started with Satan. Yeah, I got hard done by. I got fired from my job in heaven for no good reason. All I did was want to be the greatest. Just wanted to supplant God, you know. Should be fair. What's fair? Everything's fair in love and war. So there are... There are there are some things that are blessed, blessed, blessed. What it means is this. There's some things God draws near to. Blessed is the man who put in the... Those things, right, are the things that draw the heart of God and everything that God is. God is quantum beauty. You know, he opens his hand and satisfies the, the need of everything. And so what, what we're saying, okay, what is it that God infuses himself into? I, I want, just want those things. Yeah, but... I want this over here. Okay, we can have that, but God doesn't like that. So not, God's not going to put himself into that. The alternative is something else is going to go into that. Okay, so either a line or you get that. God is not unrighteous. He's saying, listen, there's a pattern. There's a pattern of things above, and there's a pattern of things below. And you choose what you want to pattern yourself after. And if you go wholeheartedly after this, then you're going to get wholeheartedly the blessing that goes with If you go half-heartedly after this, then you're going to get the half-hearted version of that. And if you get just enough to go to heaven, then you get just enough to go to heaven. But you get what you want, what you pursue, what you love, what you set your goals and your eyes upon. That's what you get. Now, uh, I want to read... One more scripture. Again, it sort of underscores the power of, uh, of this thing that's in this pattern. But Psalm 133, again, talks us, to us about that pattern. And I love this because it underscores the capacity for God to bring a blessing. Because, you know, we have natural families. We've got brothers and sisters, but we also are a spiritual family here. And so God is saying, listen, um, how would you like some of my 
my, my life. How would you like some of me to into your midst, into your family, into you guys, corporately? How'd you like that? Wouldn't that be great? You know, in this, uh, I, I was going to use the word ubiquitous, but I'm not sure it fits. But I was going to do that just for Ben. He likes that word. But anyway, this family, however we are knit together, however the mystery of that thing works, that we are connected on some level. And if we could enhance that connection and create a better version of the family of God in the midst of us, we will get the ensuing blessing that comes with us. Imagine that. So how far does that go? What could God possibly give us? All right, Psalm 133, let me read it. It says, Behold, how good it is, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, brothers, to dwell together in unity. What did I say earlier? If you live according to the pattern, then God starts to pour himself onto that pattern. What do we see here? What happens? If, if these brothers will live according to the pattern... All right, then it'll be like this. It'll be like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down the edge of his garments. In other words, God is going to anoint that. God is going to singularly bring that to a place of demonstration that this is favorable, this is wonderful. He is blessing that. He's not cursing that. He's putting his life into that to cause it to be attractive to the whole world because he's saying, listen, this is my pattern. Walk ye in it. So it's like this, this anointing that I poured out on Aaron. When I see the pattern, I'm going to pour something of heaven, the oil of heaven on it. How else can we represent it? said, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. So the dew falls, the refreshing, revitalizing, the key ingredient, that commodity necessary for life on earth, water, the dew of heaven. Not just dew, but dew of heaven. The sprinkling life of the richness of God on us. Wouldn't that be great? What do we need to do that again? What do we Dwell together in unity. Right? Oh, yeah, that. Okay, don't hate one another. Don't be jealous. Suspect anger. Suspect jealousy. Suspect offense. Don't side with it. Believe the best about the people around you. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon, but if we want that stuff, we can have it. That's the point. I mean, Jesus, when he spoke, he said, to him who has ears to hear. So, God, give us ears to hear. Can you say that right now, right where I am? God, is this really possible? Give me ears to hear. Give me ears to hear what you're saying. Because I guarantee you, the Spirit of God has been speaking to every one of us for years about some things, and we're still resistant. God, I want, I want, help me get through this, God. Get desperate about it right now, right today. I mean, decide today. The nation is hanging in the balance, but you know what? What's hanging in the balance for the nation hangs on what's happening individually in your life, but collectively what's in the nation. So if you could change a little bit, and you could change a little bit, and you could change a little bit, if we could get more of God's glory, if we could diminish the disunity, if we could break some of the curses that we're sending across the room when somebody steals our thunder, then God could give some of His thunder? Wouldn't that be amazing? Again, we come back to the initial thing. There is enough power in heaven in reserve for everything that we need. So the question is, do I have, not, do I have more than others? Do I have enough to change my world? Do you have enough to change? Do, are you like Abraham? Every place you go, God's given it to you? Or do you feel like a stranger walking in somebody else's world? Father, in Jesus' name. So, this is the pattern. Marriage, husband and wife. The heavenly pattern is fathers and sons. Malachi 4, verse 6, walking together. True fathers and true sons. Okay, and that concludes daughters. You know, it's, it's gender neutral. That's the pattern. And if brethren could dwell together. So, it's simple. You know, we sit around spending a lot of time cursing the darkness. And God is saying, 
I have all this. Looking for places to drop it. This is why God anoints people out of nowhere. This is why God doesn't honor our hierarchy of how many years you've been a Christian. And, you know, the pecking order is not according to whether you've been to church or, you know, what your experience or whether you've been to Bible college or whether it is who has a heart to align with heaven. If you had a heart to align with heaven, the blessing of God would pour out in ways. Well, this is, the fact that the blessing of God not pouring out on me right now, is that a, is that indication that I'm not according to the, you know, walking according to the pattern of heaven? No, no, no. Don't, don't think that. Because Job had more than anybody else, yet there's a place where all of that was vacated from his life. It wasn't an indication of where he was on the universal pecking order. It was just an indication of what God was presently trying to do in his life to bring him in his life to the next level of what was before him, which was still ahead of everybody else. But how we do, good or bad, month to month, is not an indicator where we stand on the universal pecking order of God because we're all in a journey. And if I'm under discipline this month and you notice that, it doesn't mean you're better than me. It doesn't mean you're worse than me. But God is looking at you as an individual and saying, I want to take you to the next level by bringing a kind of divine frustration to your life so that you see you don't have enough power to make that next grade. But there is power available. What's the key? Align to the pattern. I will anoint what agrees with me. So, Father, we say today, Ah, show us how to walk before you. Show us how to walk humbly and to do justice, to align with the pattern, to see the greatness of who you are poured out on the earth like rain, like the dew of heaven, like the oil running down the garment, the beard of Aaron. Father, in Jesus' name, we declare today there's more available in you than we could possibly need. In Jesus' name. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just pray that you would take us the next step in our lives. Father, what is it that you are after? What is defective in our pattern that you are trying to get after? Lord, give us an ear to hear. Lord, if it's in the voice of our husband or wife, it's in the voice of, a, of a, your, our pastor, he's a great guy, if it's in the voice of a neighbor, if it's in the voice of an employer, if it's in the voice of wisdom crying in the street, Lord, give us ears to hear, I pray in Jesus' name. We want to align to the pattern of heaven. Amen.